As we continue to worship this morning, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible. There's going to be two passages, and they're actually printed uh, on the insert in your bulletin if you'd like to look there, or you can turn to the passages. But it's John chapter 8, verses 54 through 59. And then we're going to read Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Last week, um, I made an attempt to introduce both Grace Community Church to you and uh, our series for this fall. This fall, we're going to, or this Sunday, I guess, we're going to dive more deeply into that, that series that we're starting for this fall. And that series is um, a series through some portions of John's Gospel uh, where John records for us some unique sayings of Jesus. Um, and many people refer to these unique sayings as the I am statements of Jesus. Because seven times in John's gospel, Jesus uses those words, I am, to tell us something very, very important about himself. Uh, And so he says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And next time we'll look at the first of those statements, I am the bread of life. But today... I want to look at these two passages in John chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 3 because I want us to see what is so important about Jesus' use of those very simple words, I am. So let's read these passages together. We'll start in John chapter 8 and verse 54. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And then Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, 
I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him and ask for his help. God, as we come before you this morning, before your word, we pray that you would help us to understand it, that you would send your spirit in order that it would be applied to us. We pray that we would sit before your word with great confidence, knowing that when you speak, your words do not return to you empty or void, but they accomplish the purposes for which you set them forth. We pray also that you would teach us humility before your word, that you are, I am who I am. You are the God of the burning bush. You spoke to Moses and you speak to us in your word. Fathers, we gather before your word. We all come from different places in life, some anxious, wondering if they'll even be able to hold it together throughout this next week. And still at the same time, there are others who are so comfortable in this life that really they become numb to their great and desperate need of you. Still others of us come into this room with fear, and some angry and some bitter and some thankful to be with your people today. Still some confused and some with a great many questions about the truth of your word and even much more personal questions than that, wondering if the truth of the gospel that you sent your son into this world to rescue slaves like us, wondering if that can be true of them personally. Father, however we come, we recognize that you know us through and through. You know both our beauty and our tragedy. You know that we are made in your image, and you know that we are broken through and through. Father, however we come this morning, our prayer is that you would Allow us the opportunity this morning before your word to see that we're all really alike because we're all far more sinful than we know, far more broken 
than we could really imagine. So we all stand in need of the same thing. Together we stand in need of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know that though we are far more broken than we can imagine, because of Jesus, His person and work, we are also far more loved and far more secure and far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray this morning that you would help us to see Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen. There are a few <clears throat> television shows that I really enjoy watching, um, and some of those television shows, I won't tell you what they are because I wouldn't want to endorse any of them to you, but it's very natural when you find a television series or a show that you really enjoy, uh, that you want to bring your friends in on it, right? You want to tell you, so you start telling your friends, just like, like I do, you know, I, I go to my friends and I say, oh, you should really watch such and such. It, it's such a great show. Uh, but I've noticed in telling my friends these kind of things, because I want to get them on board, I realize how often I end up telling people in the same breath, but if you're going to watch it, you got to start from the beginning of the series. You have to go all the way back to season one, episode one, and start there. I, I, I mean, don't just jump in the middle of the series. You, you'll miss it. You won't appreciate it. You have to go back to the beginning. I mean, you do this with book series too, right? I was thinking one, one of the more popular series out there right now is this Hunger Games series, right? And, and there are these three books in this little series. And, you know, you could pick up and buy... Uh, the second book, I can't even remember the title of it right now, but you could buy that and you could start reading there, but you would be missing so much if you didn't go back and read from the very beginning. See, it's only when you start at the beginning that you get the full context, right? And you see the plot unfold along the way. And you see these characters develop along the way. And only when you do that do you get the full appreciation, the full picture. Only when you do that do you really get the drama in that story or really understand the conflict in that story or even catch the inside jokes that might be in that story? Because it's all been building since the beginning. When we read that passage out of John chapter 8 uh, a moment ago, the response to Jesus' statement, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, it probably sounded a little extreme, right? Immediately, he says this, and they pick up stones to stone him. And I mean, it, at first glance, it seems extreme. I mean, it even seems impulsive. Like all of a sudden, they're just filled with such hatred and angst that they're just grabbing whatever's closest to them, the stones, and hurling them in Jesus' direction. But see, it only looks impulsive uh, because to start in John chapter 8 is like starting in the middle of a TV series or a book series. And that's why we have to go back this morning to Exodus chapter 3 to really get the full context. Because you see, it doesn't come across very well in, in the English translation, but when Jesus speaks these words, I am, he does something very, very unusual in the Greek language. In the Greek, you see, if you want, I'm sorry, this technical stuff will be over in a minute, but in the Greek, if you wanted to say, I am, you have a choice between two words. 
You could say the word ego, which means I am, or you could say the word me, which means I am. Both words mean I am by themselves. But Jesus uses both of those words, ego and me, when he says, before Abraham was born, I am. I mean, it's just a strange way to put it, right? He says, literally, before Abraham was born, I am, I am. And every time Jesus says, I am the light of the world, or I am the bread of life, he uses that same weird grammar. Ego and me. I am, I am the bread of life. It's a very rare use of grammar. But it does show up in one other place. It shows up in the Greek translation of Exodus chapter 3, where God says to Moses, Tell them, my name is Ego Ami. I am who I am. Hopefully you're starting to see the bigger context here. Jesus was using that odd, that, that jarring grammar to say, I am the one who is in the burning bush. Before Abraham was born, I am who I am. See, these people didn't pick up stones impulsively. They were charging Jesus with blasphemy because they recognized that he was claiming to be God in the flesh. And the punishment for that kind of blasphemy was stoning. Maybe a bit technical here, but this is why we're in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. When Jesus uses the words, I am, he is saying, if you want to know me, If you want to know what I am like, you have to go back to Exodus chapter 3 because I am the one in the burning bush. And when we look here, I think we see that Jesus is claiming to be the one who comes to burst your categories. He, He is the one who comes to solve your contradictions and he is the one who sends you out into mission. I think maybe this this might be a little bit better way to put how this actually applies to you, these three points. Jesus claims to be the one who comes and turns your world upside down on its head. He is the one who comes. He's claiming to be the only one who can come and set you free. And he's the one that assures you that you are built for something far bigger than yourself. So first, when Jesus says, I am, he claims to be the God who bursts categories. He takes your categories and he blows right through them and he turns your world upside down. See, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses, he's out in the wilderness, right, tending his father-in-law's sheep. They aren't even his sheep. He has fled from Egypt and he was now living in the wilderness for the past 40 years of his life. His life is at something of a dead end at this point. See, earlier in the Exodus story, if you take time to go back and read it, Moses tried on his own to start a revolution. He was going to be a leader and he was going to lead the Israelites out of their slavery. And he tried to start that revolution, but he failed and he failed miserably. And now he's in exile, spending his days with a bunch of stinking sheep in the wilderness. But something on this particular day catches his attention when he's going about his ordinary, his mundane, his every routine of walking with the sheep. Something catches his attention. He sees something that bursts through his categories. He sees a bush on fire. I don't think there's probably anything unusual about that. But this bush, it just keeps burning and is never burnt up. Right? It isn't consumed by the fire. I mean... 
bushes, right? Bushes are fuel for fire. And what fire does is it comes and it consumes the fuel. It uses the fuel and burns it up. How is it possible that this bush is not being consumed? What I'm saying is he does not have a category for what he's seeing and for what he's experiencing. He doesn't have any way to account for what's happening here. And so what he has to do is he has to step out of his ordinary routine, right? His normal routine, and he has to go and investigate. Literally in the passage, it says this, he turned aside to look, right? He was going one way and he took a detour. He got off the beaten path, right? He stepped out of his routine and he went to look and see. When Jesus calls himself, I am, he is saying, I came to burst your categories. I came to turn your world upside down. You have to step aside. You have to get out of your routine to deal with me. I came to give you a whole new way of life. I have this friend who told me about a time that he got in big, big trouble at a family function for making his younger cousin cry (laughs) uncontrollably um, when he was a kid. And he, he, explained, he tried to explain on that day to the adults that were present that he didn't do anything wrong, but here was this kid who was crying uncontrollably, and they didn't believe him. He got busted anyway. Um, and he said that it was years later that he understood what happened on that day. See, what happened was he had just bought a brand new yo-yo, <laughs> and he brought it to this family function, and he was showing it off to his younger, his little cousin. And so he started off with that trick that we all know, you know, you throw the yo-yo down and you throw it down fast enough so it just spins there at the bottom of the string. And he lets it spin there and hover inches above the ground right before he just snatches it back up and it flies up into his hand. And when he did this, his little cousin just burst into tears. He didn't know what happened at that point, but he said later on reflecting, he realized that for this little kid, it just blew his categories, right? He, he had no way for to, to account for it. It challenged everything he knew about this world. Up until that point, everything that he saw thrown to the ground hit the ground and stayed on the ground. It didn't hover inches above the ground and then fly back up in the air, right? Blew his categories because he couldn't account for what he saw. Now, I feel certain that he probably recovered from that and figured out the yo-yo deal, but what I'm trying to get across, this is certainly a unique story in Exodus chapter 3. You don't need to expect that God is literally going to give you a burning bush to see and to get out of your way and to step off the beaten path. But, But I'm asking you this. Are you willing to turn aside and get off the beaten path when God comes and He challenges your view of the world and bursts through your categories, because that's the principle here. Look, maybe you, maybe you met a Christian who blew through all of your categories. Because you met this Christian, and, and what you were expecting was to be met with that judgmental Christian stereotype that you were assured was going to happen when you met this Christian. But you were welcomed in by grace, you were welcomed in by mercy and compassion, and you couldn't account for it. That is God challenging your view of the world. 
asking you, will you turn aside and think? You know, another way I think that God often bursts through our categories, and He has done this in my life a number of times, is that He does it through suffering, right? When He comes into your life and He turns your world upside down, when all those little things that you used to count on for security and for identity in this broken and fragmented world, when all of those things are stripped away from you in a moment, or you at least see them crumbling piece by piece before your very eyes, that is when Jesus is calling you to get out of your routine and deal with Him. Take the time to stop and consider. Or you know what? The exact opposite may be true. That it may be the driving emptiness that you feel in your life that does not seem to go away. I mean, instead of suffering, you have more money than you ever dreamed you would have. You have a loving family, a stable life, right? A successful career, many friends. But all the things that you are looking to, all the things you are hoping that would fulfill on the promise to give you a fulfilling and whole life, and yet you are left with this gnawing and nagging emptiness. It's a burning bush that you can't account for in your view of the world. Will you take the time to consider a whole new way of life? You know, for all these burning bush moments, moments where Jesus is saying, you need to turn aside and look and investigate. For Americans, we just tend to just get busier and busier with life. Right? We shove that curiosity down. We ignore it. We keep churning, get busier and busier, too busy to turn aside. Do you realize that Jesus has come to challenge your view of the world and of Him? And the way He often does that is by sticking something in your life that makes you scratch your head and challenge your view of life and the world. I'm going to try and tie all this together in a moment. But second... When Jesus says, I am, he claims to be the God who solves contradictions. So listen, the bush didn't burn up, right? And that burst Moses' categories. But I'm just going to come right out here and say it at the beginning of this point. At first, it looks like the contradiction in this passage is a bush that's on fire that doesn't burn up. But I think, and I do think that's what Moses saw at first too. That's why he turned aside. But in fact, in this story, it's Moses who is the big contradiction. You see, when Jesus comes and he bursts through your categories, and you actually take the time to turn aside, that's when you begin to realize that you are the big contradiction. And Jesus claims to be the only one who can solve that contradiction. He claims to be the one who can come and set you free. Fire shows up a number of times throughout the Bible, right? It shows up here, burning bush. Uh, A few chapters later, it's going to show up in Exodus as this pillar that leads the nation of Israel through the wilderness, uh, places like in the New Testament even. Uh, At Pentecost, there are tongues of fire. And fire shows up repeatedly throughout the Bible as a symbol. And it most clearly represents God's perfect holiness, His absolute purity. And God's holiness 
is a scary, scary thing for broken sinners. That's why when Moses is told that he's standing on holy ground, that he's in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God, he is scared to death and he hides his face in verse 6. Because as one commentator puts it, God's holiness is an active force, not a passive force. It's an active force embracing all that conforms to it and destroying all that offends. Are you beginning to see how Moses is the contradiction in this passage? Because listen, in verse 4, God called to Moses from the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. I mean, twice he repeats his name. What he's doing is he's beckoning Moses. Come close, Moses. Get in my presence. But in the very next verse... God turns to Moses and he says, do not come any closer. I mean, that's the contradiction, right? You say, Moses, come here. Get away from me. (laughs) Moses, come close. Stay back. Right? The bush isn't consumed by the fire. But the real question in this passage is, Moses, why aren't you being consumed? Why aren't you being consumed by God's holiness? Why are you being destroyed and burned up? You are a broken sinner in the presence of a perfectly holy God. So how is it that Jesus claims to be the one who solves this contradiction? How can you, broken as you are, get into this wonderful, loving, and freeing presence of God? The answer comes in verse 2 of this passage. It reads this. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Stay with me for just a moment. This is what's most amazing to me about this story. When you read through the Old Testament, you see this figure several times, the angel of the Lord. And you realize as you read through the Old Testament that this figure is not an ordinary angel. This is a very specific title. See, when the angel of the Lord shows up, people are scared to death. They are frightened by him, but not consumed by him. When the angel of the Lord shows up, unlike all the other angels, this angel receives worship. Very, very, very different. Let me me give you another example. In Judges chapter 6, verse 22, it says this, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. If you're following me here, and I hope you are, I I want you to see that the angel of the Lord is both different from and synonymous with God, with the Lord. And I'm telling you, there is only one person in the Bible who claims to be both identical with the Lord and also distinct from the Lord. And that person is Jesus. And one of the clearest statements of that comes in the Gospel of John, in the very first verse, where John writes about Jesus and calls Jesus the Word, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
You see, this mysterious figure in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, who is holiness itself, who receives worship, he is none other than the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus. And that's why Moses isn't consumed. Because God is there in His holiness, but He is also there in His mercy and His grace. Jesus is severe in His holiness, but don't you see, He is also severe in His grace. It is through Jesus that God atones for our sin, because Jesus, He was willing Though he was perfectly holy, he was willing to go into the fire and be consumed so that you can stand before the face of God boldly and without fear. Why? Because Jesus is saying, I'm perfectly holy, you're broken, but because of my grace you are also boldly and completely loved by me. A while ago, I heard this great illustration, and I'm probably going to miss some of the details in retelling it, but basically a father had taken his two children with him, and this is in California, and they went out to go camping, and they were way away from everything, way off the beaten path. And when they were camping, they, heard, they smelt first the smell of a forest fire, and then they heard it roaring towards their direction. This quick-thinking father realized that there is no way for them to outrun these flames. And so what he did was he burned this huge circle in the grass. He burned it over, torched the grass around them. And then they all stood in the middle of that circle. If you see where this is going... (laughs) There was nothing left for that fire to consume when it finally reached them because they were standing in the burned-over place and they were completely safe and it swept over them. When Jesus claims to be the God of the burning bush, He is claiming to be the only one who can solve the deepest contradiction of your life. How can a holy God accept a broken sinner? And the answer is that He was consumed for you in your place. And it's only when you rest on Him, only when you stand upon Him in that burned over place that you are completely saved. Ultimately, this is where the category bursting questions of life, the burning questions of life, the burning bushes, this is where they point us. To, to learn this wonder that mercy and justice, they meet and shake hands at the cross of Jesus. You know, for some of you, it drags up, I know, all, kind, all kinds of baggage just to mention the holiness of Jesus. Right? Because you start feeling shame. And some of you, if you're honest, you, you even start to feel a little angry and bitter. Because you know you can't measure up. And you need to turn aside and see holiness and grace meet at the cross. Because that is the only place that you can find freedom. To know that you don't have to make any more excuses anymore. You are free to be broken and you are free to change because the God who is severe in His holiness is also severe in His grace. Because the cross says to you in big, bold letters, there is not one little thing Not one little thing that you could do 
to make God love you one ounce more. And there is not one little thing that you could ever do to make him love you any less. Because he loves you in Jesus. He sent his son into the fire for you. And there he solved your deepest contradiction forever. Now finally, when Jesus claims to be, I am who I am. He's claiming to be the God who sends you out into mission. Not only does he set you free, right? But in setting you free, he breaks your tunnel vision. We all long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We know instinctively that we're made to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And when you experience God's grace, he sets you apart for his mission of grace in this world. This is one of, by far one of the hardest sermons I've preached in a long time because there's just so much that I have to leave out, right? Um, but I thought you'd want to go to lunch today, and I want to go to lunch today. I'm not going to put it all off on you, but um, if you notice real quickly and briefly how God does this, how he goes about sending you out into mission, God says to Moses in this passage, he basically says, look at these amazing things I'm going to do through you. I'm going to save Israel through you. And Moses says, me? Right? Basically, he's saying, and this is my paraphrase, he's basically saying to God, that's a bad idea. Right? He's saying, the day when I had position, the day when I had power, the day when I had resources, it's long gone. I've been a shepherd for 40 years. I don't even own my own sheep. It's a bad idea to call me. It's paraphrase, right? But this is what he's saying in verse 11. Who am I that I should go? But here's the deal. This is actually the first time in Moses' life that he has become useful to God. Right? I mean, it's really kind of crazy. I mean, as soon as Moses says, I'm not up for the job, I cannot do it. His insecurities just gushing outright, and God basically comes in. He says, "That's why I chose you. Because this redemption thing, this rescuing the slaves thing that I'm going to do, it's not about your ability. It's about mine." I mean, that's the great irony. When Jesus blows your categories, when you're confronted with your brokenness before His holiness, when you get to that point. Where all you can say is, all I have is nothing. And all I have is need. I'm totally dependent on grace and grace alone. That's when God sends you out into mission. He sends you and me out, not in strength and in power. He sends us out in weakness, in insecurity, in in brokenness, in dependence, in our inability. Many of us have felt this before, right? I'm unworthy. I'm too much of a mess. I'm not gifted for this mission. I wonder, though, if what's really at stake in all that is you and I forgetting where the place that holiness and grace meet. Because the good news of the gospel is not about you. It's about the God of the burning bush who delights in rescuing slaves. The God who takes pleasure in turning the world upside down through those who bring nothing but need to the table. You know, since I'm taking you backwards today uh, to see the bigger context, 
It's only fitting that I take you even further backward. Uh, backwards. In Genesis, we have this story, right? Of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, falling into sin. You remember this story? They were living in paradise. But after the fall, they were banished from the garden. And if you remember this story, it's a strange part of the story that used to bother me for the longest time. Uh, because they're banished from the garden, and then we're told in Genesis chapter 3 that God put an angel with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. A flaming sword of holy judgment. And you know what that was saying? It was saying the only way for you to get back to paradise, the only way for you to get back into the presence of God is to pass through this flaming sword. And the gospel says this, Jesus I am who I am. He went through that holy judgment for you. He is the God of the burning bush. And the flaming sword of justice fell upon him so that you could go free. The flaming sword of God's justice fell upon him so that you, your tunnel vision could be broken. And you could go out into his mission of grace. So I'm asking you, Will you turn aside to Jesus' call in the burning bushes of your life? And will you bring nothing but your need to Jesus, the God of grace? And will you embrace this mission to proclaim the wonders of God's redeeming grace to this broken world? Let's pray together. Father, We come before you at this moment to confess that we indeed have nothing to bring before you. All we can bring is our need. We confess that many times you have sought to grab our attention. We've ignored it, refused to get off the beaten path. Pray that you would wake us up. Wake us up to see how Jesus, I am who I am, has come to turn our world upside down. Wake us up to your holiness. Wake us up to your amazing grace. And Father, we pray that you would send us out into this world to proclaim that good news to fellow slaves, fellow slaves of sin, that our God is a redeeming God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.